tonight, just after my message Sunday, I kind of felt like I left some things undone. And no, I'm not going to preach in John. Now we are going to read some stuff out of John. We're going to read some stuff out of Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Jeremiah and 1 Corinthians and Proverbs and Psalms and Revelation and Isaiah and Leviticus. Okay? So uh, I kind of felt like I left a little bit undone in my message Sunday. So I wanted to go through a few things tonight. And I titled tonight's message, What God Loves and What God Hates. Can we do that? And I'm going to take you through verses about what God loves and who God loves and what God loves, or excuse me, what God hates and who God hates. Amen. And mixed into all of this is what God tells us to do as far as how we're to love and what we are to hate. So we're going to do that, not in a bad way, just in a way so I can explain a little bit about what I was talking about in John 3.16. Because John 3.16, I think my message may have been a little bit um, misunderstood in what I was saying. Does God love all people? Can we answer that question with an emphatic yes? Right? Now, does God hate that's the question that we got to answer, right? Does God hate? Does God hate just sin or does God hate people? Okay? That's a that's a double-edged sword cuz I love my family, but sometimes they make me hate all kinds of things that they do, and sometimes even say, "Man, I hate them." Sometimes, right? Like we get to we get that way, right? Now God doesn't hate like that, okay? When God said he hates, he hates because he's righteous because he's just, because he's holy, okay? And his righteous indignation hates the very garment stained with sin, amen? So we got to understand when I talk about God hating, that is always tied to God's judgment or God's condemnation of sin or sinners, amen? John three sixteen said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, God did not send the world, uh, son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Amen? Now, verse 18 is the crux of the argument. Those who believe are not condemned. Amen? But those who do not believe are already condemned. Amen? What does the word condemned mean? Anybody? What is that what is that reference to? Bound for hell is a good observation of what condemned means, but it's more than that, okay? Because outside of Christ, we stand condemned and hell is just not just a place that's Aloof from God, hell is a place where the wrath of God is being poured out against sin and sinners. Because God doesn't just send sin to hell, he sends sinners to hell. Amen? That's obvious, okay? So when we stand condemned, what we're really saying is, I don't want your forgiveness. 
I don't want your grace. I don't want your love. Okay, then you're going to get the absolute polar opposites of my love, my grace, and my mercy, which is God's hatred for sin, God's condemnation of sin, and God's judgment on sin. Amen? So when I say God, what, what we're talking about tonight, I titled what God loves and what God hates. And I want to show you what I'm saying about unbelievers is absolutely true because unbelief is the worst sin. You are thumbing your nose at the very love of God. Amen. The Bible says God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right. Romans 5 eight. Okay, so God's ultimate demonstration of love was Christ dying for you. And to reject God's ultimate sacrifice, his ultimate uh, 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 showing of love, his ultimate expression of love towards you, when you deny that with unbelief, what you're saying is, I don't want your love. I want the opposite. And that's exactly what you get. So when I say God hates unbelievers, that's what I'm talking about. Amen. So we're going to walk through this. We're going to walk through what, I, and I just picked nine things from each category. Okay. I didn't go into depth and look up every verse. I could have, but I thought that Wednesday night would not be long enough if I did that. Okay. <laughs> so I looked up nine places and we're going to start with the love of God. Amen. Can I get an Amen. Let's we'll start with the love of God, because I'm not here to say that God wants to hate people or God's just longing to pour out his hatred on people. But God, being just, righteous, and holy, hates sin. Hates so, he, he hates sin so much that he hates those who do sin. And the only, reason, the only time that we can separate sin and the sinner is in Christ. Because only in Christ... Do sinners not get acquitted, or only in Christ do sinners not get held accountable for their sin? Outside of Christ, every sinner will be held accountable for their own sin. That's the judgment of God. Amen? So we can't separate sin and sinners outside of a relationship with Christ. That's the only time sin and sinners get separated. But outside of that, when we're unbelieving, when we reject the gift of God, when we're standing outside of Christ, what we are being, what we're uh, 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 subject to then is being judged for our sin and as sinners. And that is God's hatred for those who do those things. Amen. So we're going to read both sides of this. I'm, I'm starting right where we left off. So you can turn your Bibles to John 3, 16. And we're going to read it, we're going we're gonna to digest it, and then we're going to go to the next verse, and then we're going to go to the next verse, and then we're going to go to the next verse on God's love, okay? I got nine verses for God's love, and I got nine verses for what God hates, okay? I'm doing this on purpose so that you can see that, yes, this is absolutely why grace is grace, and why grace is so important. And why turning to Christ is the most important decision anybody would ever make. Amen. Uh, because outside of Christ, we stand condemned. Amen. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Now we can go ahead and equate that 
and understand, even if you want to make this be universal, which we know the next verse is not universal. When it says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, this verse is used by universalists to say that God is going to save everybody irregardless of anything they do, good or bad. It doesn't matter. God's saving everybody because Jesus came and he clearly says right here he came to save the whole world and the whole world through him is going to be saved. Does it mean that? No. The qualification was given in verse 16. Those who believe. Amen. That's who's, be, that's who's being saved. So God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What he's saying is those who believe will not perish but have everlasting life. The whole world will not believe. So we can scratch this out as a totally universal passage. The universality of world in verse 17 is no more universal than the universal uh, world in verse 16. The world in verse 16 is not the whole entire world, but those who would believe from all over the world. That's who we're talking about because we know not everybody will believe. Amen? Jesus even says, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, be unto life, few there be that find it. Broad is the gate, wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many there be that go that way. Amen? So we know that God knew not everybody's going to believe, right? So even if we're looking at this from totally an Arminian position, okay, if we were, we're just looking at this from totally free will. We're, we're, gonna, we're not even going to think about the sovereignty of God and salvation. We're not even going to think about God moving on the hearts of sinners to call them to him. Even if we look at this from a purely Arminian perspective of free will, what we get is not everybody believing. So, Jesus didn't come down here for people whom will not believe. He didn't. He even said so. I lay my life down for my sheep. He didn't say I lay my life down for people who ain't going to believe. He didn't say I'm going to save people who ain't going to believe. He's going to save those who believe. Amen? This is purely, purely what it's saying. What? Huh? What happens? They do. That's true. But they don't come to faith apart from God drawing them. Right, right. What I'm saying to you is not everybody's going to heaven. Period. Right? No. No, it sure does not. Who will never believe. There was a point in your life when you didn't believe. Okay? What I'm saying is, Jesus is not sitting around going, I wonder if Mike's going to believe. I wonder if Carmen's going to believe. Now, we do that, and we don't know who's going to believe, but God does. So this is not a question of God knowing who's going to believe, okay? 
See, what we do when we think about this verse is we superimpose our lack of knowledge onto God and say, well, if I feel this way, then that must mean what it means because, uh, you know, God is just whoever's, whoever will doesn't mean the same thing to me that it does to God because God knows whoever will. Right, right. Right, right. Well, what I'm trying to get at is the word world doesn't mean everybody. Okay, right, right. That's the gist of this because it doesn't mean that in verse 17 we can agree that not everybody's going to be saved. He didn't come down here and, and just going to save everybody no matter what, right? So the qualification is those who believe, correct? Right, okay. Now, Verse 18 really clarifies it even farther. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. Amen? Why are we condemned already? Because as a people, we all stand condemned. Before Christ, before we're brought into Christ, we're under the weight of condemnation because we are outside of Christ. The grace of God is he takes those who believe and puts them in Christ. Amen? And the fact that he does that is grace. Okay? <laughs> That's how they're not condemned. It's not because uh, they made a choice to believe or not to believe. The choice of every single person on the face of the planet right now that doesn't know Christ is to not believe. They're already enemies of God, separated from God. They can't know the things of God. They can't see the kingdom of God, according to John 3, right? They can't enter the kingdom of God. They don't understand the things of the Spirit, nor can they, right? Because they're in the flesh. We're understanding all this. We're taking all the Bible in context when we read John 3, 16. We're not reading it in a vacuum. We're not reading this portion of Scripture in a vacuum where... It, it, it means one specific thing, and the rest of the scripture doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So we have to take all of this as a whole. So we know that people who are not in Christ don't understand the things of the Spirit. Those who are not born again do not understand the things of the Spirit, right? That's what, that's what the Bible says. We know those who are in the flesh cannot even understand the things of the Spirit. Nicodemus said... Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So this is nailing down qualifications. Amen? Huh? Huh? Oh, Jesus said that. Yeah, Jesus said that to Nicodemus. I'm sorry. Jesus said that to Nicodemus that you can't do that, right? So we understand that being born again is essential. God drawing us is essential to anyone to believe, okay? So we can't separate Jesus' words in John 3 or John 6:44 from John 6:33 either or John 6 3:16, okay? We can't separate John 6:44 from John 3:16. John 6:44 says no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. So, understanding that Whosoever believes takes on a whole new meaning because then we understand this belief is not just something that I can do on my own. It's something that I absolutely have to have God's help to do. Okay. 
the, the ramifications of understanding that means that salvation in the way it's worded, what, what song is that? For God so loved the whole wide world, or arms stretched wide, uh, the David Crowder song, okay? That song, although it's a good song, is not theology and is not scripture and is not really telling the truth of this verse. Now, God does whosoever will come, but the qualification for coming is not me only. It's not, it, it does say whoever believes, but who's going to believe? All who the Father calls will believe. That's who's going to believe. That according to John 6, 44, 37 through the end of the chapter, actually, talks about the whole thing. And then John 8 and John 10, Romans 10, uh, Romans 9, excuse me. Uh, all of it talk about God in the process of salvation. But we tend to read this in a vacuum and it just means, well, anybody can. No, not anybody can. Only those who will eventually believe. That's the ones that's going to come. Everybody else who doesn't believe aren't coming. They're not going to heaven. They're not getting the grace of God. Amen? Isn't that what verse 18 says? Those who believe are, con are not condemned. Those who don't believe are condemned. Right? So we're taking this as a whole. But does that mean God doesn't love them? No. No. God has a benevolent love for everyone. Amen? Benevolence means that God loves all people, even though those people are not going to love him. Okay? But that doesn't mean he's going to save them. It's not the same kind of saving love. He only saves those and loves those who will believe. Okay? That's what it says. God didn't come down here. And, and if, if we're taking God's love as something that is superimposed to where God is just going to love everyone to the point where they have to get saved, that's what we're, when, when people say God is love, that's kind of what they're saying. Well, God's going to make it all happen, right, for everybody. No, that's not what it's saying. God doesn't love those people in a way that he loves those who are saved because those are his bride those are the ones who love him back right it's not the same just and the unjust alike, that he loves sinners, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yes. But he also hates sin, and I can show you verses that he hates those who practice the sin, okay? Not just the sin, but the sinner, okay? The, the, there's a term that goes around nowadays, God loves the sin, or God hates the sin, not the sinner. That's not true. That's not a Bible verse. You can't find that in Scripture. Psalm 5, 5 said, God hates all those who do evil. 
I don't know how much clearer that can be. It's the same God, right? It's not some new God in the Old Testament and now some new God in the New Testament. Psalm 5.5 is clear. God hates those who do evil. It doesn't say he hates evil. It said he hates those who do evil. So we understand why. Now we, we have a dichotomy because one verse said God loves the world. Another verse said God hates the world, right? Or God hates evildoers. One verse said he died for sinners. And one verse says he hates sinners, okay? So which is it? It's both. God does love the sinner. He does. But God being just, righteous, and holy also hates sin and those who practice sin calls an abomination do you realize without people there would be no sin there's that's why you can't separate sin and the sinner the only reason sin exists is because people commit sin sin isn't some force that's out here working around in the ethers sin is done perpetuated by people that's why sin cannot be separated from the person outside of Christ. Uh, let's go on to some more verses about God's love. Okay, God's love. Romans 5, 8. We already quoted this, but we're going to go read it anyway. Okay? And we can read it in context with everything that's being said. Okay? We're going to start at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, I want to stop right here. Do unbelievers have the love of God poured out in their hearts by the Holy Spirit? No. Unbelievers do not have the Holy Spirit. This is a fact. The Holy Spirit is given to believers all throughout the New Testament. Amen. The Holy Spirit is not given to unbelievers. Now, when an unbeliever repents and comes to Christ, drawn by the Father, comes to faith in Christ, then yes, that unbeliever receives the Spirit of God. But an unbeliever who will never repent, who never comes to Christ, who never comes to faith never once has the Holy Spirit period that's biblical okay so when he says that our heart the Holy Spirit's been poured out in our hearts uh, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us who's the Holy Spirit given to believers those who trust in Christ you have to repent Trust in Christ, and then you receive the Spirit. Amen? This is what happens, right? We see it in the book of Acts. On, in Acts 2, we see it with Cornelius. We see it with Paul. We see it with 
I mean, over and over in the New Testament, right? The, the apostles, they come to a town, and Peter and James, they go to a town. And, uh, when they went to Samaria, remember? Simon the sorcerer wanted to buy the gift of laying on hands. Peter and them heard that Samaria had received the gospel, and they came down there and said, Hey, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, No, and they laid hands on them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not given to unbelievers. It's given to believers. Amen. Just like all the other, you know, uh, we, we kind of talk this way to non-Christian people and we go, well, you know, uh, God works all things out for your good. He doesn't. If you're not a believer, it says God works all things out for those who are called according to his good purpose. Amen? Not anybody else. Okay? Now, is God at work in the rest of the world? And does he make the sun shine on the just and the unjust? Do the wicked prosper in their way right now? Sure they do. But one day they're not going to. Amen? One day they're going to stand under the weight of God's hatred for sin, God's judgment of sin, God's condemnation of sin because they have not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God, John 3, 19. Amen? So, love. God is love. Amen? We're going to get into that one, too. Go to 1 John 3. 1 John 3. I'm going to try to get through this a little quicker. Kind of spent a lot of time explaining stuff right there, and I probably should have just read some verses. 1 John 3. Uh, let's go to verse 1. <clears throat> See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are children, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him. As he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, it starts out saying, Beloved, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. Now, uh, we established in John 1 that only people who trust in Christ are children of God. Amen? Just because everyone is made in God's image and God's likeness, all people, believer, unbeliever, saved, unsaved alike, right? That everyone is. But being made in the image of God doesn't make you a child of God. Being born again means, make, uh, makes you a child of God. John 1, 12 and 13 says uh, that those Let's, let's go read it. I don't want to mess it up. You can stay right where you're at in 1 John. I'll go read this for you, okay? Uh, John 1, 12 says, But to all who did receive him, gave he, uh, who believed in his name, gave he the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, or the will of man, but of God. Now, it says that he gives them the right to become children of God. 
If everybody on the planet was already children of God, then he wouldn't have to give you the right to become a child of God. Amen. So the child of God, being a child of God, is part of God loving those who believe and making them children of God. Amen. John 4, or 1 John 4. This is, the, this is like the epitome of God being love. And it's true, God is love. But that is not the only thing God is. God is also holy. Matter of fact, of all the titles in all of the scripture, the, the title of God being holy is the most used title for God in all of the Bible. Okay? And we only have a few scattered verses that talk about God being love. Now, you have verses that talk about God loving and God showing his love, God demonstrating his love, but very few verses that say God is love, okay? But you have verse after verse after verse of God is holy. God is righteous. Amen? There's all kinds of other things that God is. He's not just love. He's just. He's holy. He's righteous. He's all-powerful. I mean, there's all kinds. Of, when we went through the attributes of God, we went through all different kinds of attributes of God. God is not just love. Okay? I, I, I hate to take that verse and mean that uh, when we read it and say, well, this is all God is. He's just love. No, he's just and holy and righteous. There's all kinds of other things that God is. So John, 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Now, I want you to notice that he's telling you to do something right here, right? Now, it's not just what God does or who God is, but he's telling us that we're going to love if we're made like God, right? That's exactly the context of this ver these verses, correct? Can I get an amen? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Now, I want to read that again, because this is tied to Romans 5, 8, okay? Remember, John, Peter, Paul, James, they all preach the same gospel, okay? It's not a different gospel. There's only one, Galatians 1, right? There's only one gospel. Uh, verse 9, in this the love of God is made manifest among us. Doesn't that sound like Romans 5, 8? God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Romans 5 8. Now this verse says, in this, in this the love of God it was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have, uh, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God. 
If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Now I want you to notice that again. Same doctrine as Paul. Once God's love is in you, you have the spirit. Okay? This is absolutely what the New Testament teaches. Believers get the Holy Spirit. Believers get the love of God poured out in their heart by God when they come to Christ, when they believe. Amen? So let's just keep going. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be a Savior of the world. Whoever, now, now, right there's another verse, okay? Right there's another verse that people can take out of context. Uh, verse 15, I think it was, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, this word world, here again, does that mean he's saving everybody? No. It's qualified by the very next verse, right? Read the very next verse. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love of God, uh, the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. This is the love perfected within us so that we have confidence for the day of judgment because love, because, uh, excuse me, as he is also, we, 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 are we in this world, excuse me. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has nothing to, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not love his brother whom he can see. How can he love God whom he cannot see? And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. Amen? So we understand these things. God is absolutely love. God is telling us we must love. Amen? This is true. It's not, I'm not telling you it's not true. So when I say God loves the sinner, it's true. Amen? God does love everyone. God has a benevolent love for everyone, but God doesn't have a salvific love for everybody. He has a saving love for those who believe. Amen? Those who will never come to faith, who never will believe, God doesn't love them like he loves us. Okay? Because now we're part of his family. He's applied the blood of Christ to us. Do you realize the blood of Christ is not applied to unbelievers? It's not. He didn't die for unbelievers. John 3.16 says, God sent his son in the world that whosoever will believe. Whosoever will believe. Amen. There's still a qualification there. Even if you believe in total free will that is a, 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 a void of any outside influence. Okay. Even if I believe that. The qualification is still there. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save those who would believe. Amen? He didn't come here to save those who ain't going to believe. They're not going to believe. Now, I don't know who those are, but God does. God isn't sitting them around going, man, I, I just didn't see that guy coming. Think about one person in your life that passed away that you were totally 
unsure of whether they were saved or not. Think of that one person. It is not a mystery to God. God knows who they are. He knows their heart. He knows where they're at. He knows whether they believe or not. Period. It's not a mystery to God. The whosoever will is implied that it's only those who are going to believe. Amen. Uh, Romans 8. Go to Romans 8. Um, we're going to do a lot of uh, biblical gymnastics tonight. Romans 8, verse 37. <clears throat> no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other thing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this verse is very important. Because this is talking about God's love, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But notice where the love of God is. Where is it? In Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, I want to go to another verse. Isn't this the same chapter with the golden chain in it? Let's go look at that. <clears throat> if you don't know what the golden chain is, you're about to learn, okay? What verse is it? That's what I'm looking for. That's exactly what I'm for. All right, watch this. We're going to start at 28 or 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps our weaknesses, for we did not, uh, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what's in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the what will of God. Isn't that what the King James says, Mike? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his good purpose. Now, we quoted that a minute ago, right? Now, watch this. For those he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And then you go right into God's everlasting love. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is God, it is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. 
Amen? This whole chapter of promising not to be separated from the love of God is tied to faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's promised to believers, not to those who will not believe. Now, I'm making this separation because there's a lot of people that don't believe that will believe, okay? I'm not making that distinction. I'm making the distinction between those who will ultimately believe and those who will never believe. So when I say unbeliever, that's who I'm talking about. Not the person that may come to faith in Christ tomorrow or the person that may come into faith in Christ next week. I'm talking about ultimate positions where this person is never, ever, ever going to believe. That person is not being promised these things. It's promised to those who will believe. Amen? That's what the uh, John 3.16 says. Those who will believe. Right? It's even put in a future tense. Right? Whosoever will believe. Not whosoever do believe. Whosoever will believe. Because Christ is looking forward to the sheep that he had that weren't of this pasture. Remember? He's talking about you and me and Sister Susie so-and-so. Right? That's who he's talking about. Future people who will believe. That's what's said in John 3.16. Not those who do believe. It says... God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever will believe. Amen? Will, meaning they're going to. Not those who will never believe. Amen? All right. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Man, I lost Galatians in my Bible. Well, it's kind of like Liberty, Kansas then. Galatians 2.20. And this is an important one too. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do I nullify the grace of God? For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Amen? This is talking about the love of Christ. But the love of Christ is also here pinned directly to those who believe. Amen? Ephesians 2. Verse 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace have you been saved. Now, I want to stop and dissect this for a minute, okay? Because there's a lot of theology wrapped up in these two verses, okay? Lots of theology wrapped up in these two verses. But God, being rich in mercy, and we know mercy is a, another word for love, right? Okay? Let's just 
clarify that real, real quick, right? Because of the great love with which he has loved us, okay? Us. There's an us there, right? Who's us? Anybody? His bride. His bride. <clears throat> now, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Now, this point is the point of contention that we had in John 3.16, right? Where it sounded like I was saying, well, God just doesn't love unbelievers. But if that was the case, then nobody would come to Christ, right? Because God wouldn't love anybody because we're, we're all unbelieving at one time, right? So I'm not talking about people who will not potentially believe. I'm talking about when I make the separation, I'm making the separation of unbelievers as those who will never believe. Amen. Obviously, there are people who don't believe right now that will eventually believe. Amen. That that we're meant to go reach. We're meant to go preach the gospel to. We're meant to. Right. That's what the church is for, ain't it? To go proclaim the gospel so that people will come to faith in Christ, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How will they not hear if there's no preacher? All that stuff in Romans 10, right? Come on. We're, we're preaching the whole Bible, not just parts of the Bible, right? We're preaching the whole thing. So we know that we're going to go out there and preach the gospel. We don't know who's going to respond, right? So when we read whosoever will, that's the mentality that we have reading that verse. We read it from our perspective of whosoever will. But whosoever will doesn't mean back to God. It doesn't mean it's some ambiguous number that God doesn't know and God doesn't just, he's just in the loop, just like we are, where he doesn't know who's going to believe and who's not going to believe. That's not, that's not how you take that scripture. You're not going to take that scripture and apply it to God the same way you're going to apply it to us. Amen. Because God does know who will believe. God knows his sheep. His sheep know his voice. His sheep will follow him. Right? This is Jesus talking. Amen? He didn't say, oh, you know, I'm waiting to find the sheep that I'm going to have in this other sheepfold. No, he said, I have sheep that are not of this sheepfold. That means Jesus, when he was on this earth, talking to Simon Peter and praying in the garden, and talking to the Pharisees when he told them, you're not of my sheepfold. I have sheep that are not of this sheepfold. When he said that, he knew that Shirley was going to believe and Mike was going to believe and Kyle was going to believe. And he knows Joe Smith so-and-so one of these days is going to believe. And he knows Sister Susie so-and-so one of these days is going to believe. God is not in the loop when it comes to who's going to believe. We are. So when we read whosoever will, we read it from a human perspective of whosoever will. But God, we can't apply whosoever will the same way to God as we do to ourselves, okay? Does whosoever mean whosoever will? Yes, it does. It means whosoever will believe, because that's exactly what it says. It doesn't say whosoever will, period. It says whosoever will believe, amen? So whosoever will is those who will believe. That's what that verse says, right? Let's make it sure. All right. Jeremiah 31 and 3. Mike's favorite verse. 
or one of them. You know this verse, don't you, Mike? Uh, well, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm, now you're making me want to turn my pages faster. <clears throat> Did I put the right one down? Oh, three. Yeah, three, three, three. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Remember that one? You know, you know, I, it's because I didn't read it in the King James English, okay? If I'd read it in King James, you'd have got it. Amen? God said, and he's, he, does God love all of his creation with an everlasting love? Yes, he has to. He's everlasting. Amen? He's eternal. His love isn't, isn't something he can shut on and off. Amen? Come on. Come on, somebody, right? God is everlasting, so his love is everlasting. We don't want to read too much into this text that's not there, right? Now, God does tell this person, okay? Let, but we want to get context, right? Go to verse 1 of 31. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of the clans of Israel, and then shall... Uh, and then and they shall be my people excuse me thus says the Lord the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest the Lord appeared to him from a far away I have loved you with an everlasting love therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you now who's he talking about Jacob. He's talking about Jacob. Okay? Talking about Israel. Listen to it again. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword and found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest. What's this, allude, what's this alluding to? When Israel sought for rest. Remember when Jacob laid his head on that stone? Remember that? Had that dream? Remember? What he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. When Israel sought rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. Remember that? How did he appear to him? In a vision, in a dream, right? So we can't separate all this stuff. Does God love his people? Yes, but he's talking about Jacob. Who is Jacob? Jacob is the son of promise, right? Esau I have hated, Jacob I have loved, right? Romans 9. So he's talking about a select person, amen? Now, I'm not saying, even in saying that he's saying that to this one person in Jeremiah, that doesn't mean God doesn't love sinners, because he does, amen? All right, 1 Corinthians 13. We could go to 1 Corinthians 13. And we can read it all and we can digest it all. But 1 Corinthians 13 is the epitome of what we know love is, right? Can I get an amen on that? 1 Corinthians 13. And we're gonna read, we're gonna read the chapter on love, okay? The important part. Love is patient, right? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. 
It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will uh, as for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now, I want to ask you a question. All of this is telling us what love is, and we always assume that this is how God loves, right? Now, love endures all things. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love never ends, right? So, when I say the way God benevolently loves everyone is not the same way that God loves his church or those who believe, it's absolutely true because the love that we get from Christ is never going to end in salvation, right? What can separate me from the love of God? We read it, right? Nothing. Height or depth, principalities, powers. But the love of God for unbelievers is not the same love. Else, they would never go to hell. They would never suffer death. They would, he, his love. If he was applying the same love to believers that he did, un or to unbelievers that he does believers, nobody would end up in hell because love never fails, endures all things, bears all things, hopes all things, never fails, blah, 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 right? If this is the picture of love and we apply it to God, it cannot be applied to God in instances with everyone. It has to be implied with the rest of scripture where God's love is poured out in the hearts of believers through the Holy Spirit, given to us, sealing us in Christ, sealing us in the love of Christ. Now, everyone born of God loves. Why? Because God is love and they're born of God. So that being born of God and born of love is absolutely dependent on believing God and coming to faith in Christ. It's not given to everyone that way. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love sinners, because he does. Amen? What it means is, God, when you come to Christ, pours out his love upon you where he could not before. Why couldn't God pour out his love on us before? Why? Huh? Well, we weren't believers. Right. Because we stood condemned, because we had not accepted the free gift of God by faith in Christ Jesus, amen? And while we reject, when we reject the free offer of Christ, when we reject and choose not to believe, what we are left with is the condemnation, the wrath, of Almighty God. We don't get that love that's everlasting. We don't get that life that's eternal. We don't get that. We get the other side of God. We get the other parts of God that are not tied directly to His love. Now, it is loving for God to punish sin because injustice would happen if God did not punish sin. Amen? So God has to punish sin. He's either going to punish sin in Christ for you, and everyone that believes in Christ will be forgiven 
because the condemnation of their sin was put on him. But those who reject Christ and, and completely and ultimately and finally do not ever come to faith in Christ, those people are not offered that same love, that same grace and mercy. They're offered wrath, condemnation, judgment. John 3, 17, or 18, 19, 20, and 21. Amen? That's what Jesus is specific. Those who believe are not condemned. Those who do not believe. Those who believe are not condemned. Those who do not believe are condemned already. Amen? Now, before we run out of time, I want to go to the things God hates. And we're not going to spend near as much time on that. Okay? But I'm going to show you that God does hate. And it's not unjust for God to hate because God is absolutely holy and can't even look upon sin. Amen? That's what the, what, what, what prophet says that? Oh, I think it's Malachi. Look it up for me. He cannot even look upon sin. All right, we're going, while whoever's looking that up, we're going to Proverbs 6. Proverbs chapter 6. <clears throat> I want to show you a few things in here that you may have missed when you've read this before. Proverbs 6, and we're going to start at verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Okay? Haughty eyes. Where are eyes in people? <clears throat> a lying tongue. Where's a tongue in a person? <clears throat> and hands that shed innocent blood. Now these are six things God hates. Seven that are an abomination to him, right? So now we have eyes, right? We have a tongue and we have hands. A heart that devises wicked plans. Well, now, what heart devise, devises wicked plans? Every one of them. Amen? According to, according to Genesis 6, the thought of every man's heart was continuously wicked, always. Right? It, 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 even the thought, every thought of man's heart was evil continually. Right? This is the depraved state of human beings. Every one of us outside of Christ would be this guy so far. Okay? Every one of us. Now watch this. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. Now notice he says a false witness who breathes out lies. So he's not just talking about what's said, but who is saying it. Amen? Now watch this. <clears throat> and one who sows discord among brothers. Now, these seven things that God hates also represent people and what they're doing. Amen? And you can't separate because he says the one who sows discord among brothers. Well, words ain't going to just sow discord. People do that. 
people speak words, right? Before their discord can be sown, it has to come out of the mouth of a person. Amen? A false witness who breathes out lies. That is a person. Amen? Feet that make haste to run to evil. I'm just telling you. He's not talking about deer. He's not talking about cats and dogs. He's talking about people's feet. Amen? People commit sin. People. Go with me, to, if you will, to Psalm 5. Psalm 5. And I got one, two, three, four, five, six questions when I'm done with these, okay? Just six little questions. We're going to answer them very quickly. Uh, Psalm chapter 5. It'll help if you don't go past Psalm, Kevin. I was all the way in Job before I realized I was in the wrong spot. Can somebody tell me why we pronounce it Job when it's spelled Job? I can because it used to be spelled with an E. Did you know that? It used to be spelled with an E. Modern translations of the Bible change that. The original King James uses an E. The 1611 King James uses an E on Job. It's not J-O-B, it's J-O-B-E. Just let you know. <laughs> anyway, huh? Yeah, yeah. Psalm 5, verse 5. Now, we could, we could start at the beginning. Let's start at the beginning just for context, okay? Uh, give ear to my word, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King, my God. For to you I do plead, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in the wicked in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Notice these are David's words, right? Is this the Psalm of David? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, this is the Psalm of David. Okay. Now, verse 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Now, I want you to look at a few words here. He says he hates. You hate all evildoers. All evildoers. Okay? So sinners. Let's, let's look at verse 6. It says the Lord abhors. Okay, that word abhors is a drastic version of hate, right? He, it's almost like detest, right? And, and, and actually detest and abhor and hate are all synonyms if you look them up in a dictionary, okay? You can interchange them with mean. It means that you have a strong hatred or dislike for something, okay? That's what hate means, okay? A strong dislike for something. That's what detest means. A strong hatred for something. And aberration or detestability just takes the bar up from hate to a little bit more. You know what I mean? It's like even worse than hate. Okay? So it gives you God hates evildoers, and then it says he abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Amen? 
So these people, what are they? They commit evil. They're sinners. Amen? Go to Psalm 11, 5. Psalm 11, 5. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the ones who love violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, and fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Amen? So even in the Old Testament, God hated evil and hated evil doers. Amen? That doesn't change in the New Testament. The only, the only thing that changes is that if you're in Christ, God doesn't see you this way anymore. That's what happens. That's grace. That's the mercy of God that no longer are you getting looked at as an enemy of God, as a, as a, as a sinner, as undeserving of God's righteous wrath, but instead you get mercy and grace because Christ paid the price for your forgiveness. He bore your sins on the cross and the penalty of your sin on the cross. And that's how God can look at you and not do this to you. Amen? But anyone who rejects the free gift of God, this is their portion. Amen? Now, Psalm 97. Psalm 97. <clears throat> Verse 10. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He, uh, he preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Now, I want to stop right here. Remember what I told you that we were going to read about God's love and how God expected us to love, right? Now, I want you to see what this psalmist is saying he says verse 10 oh you who love the Lord now we know that we don't love God because we loved him first we love God because he loved us first right so God loved us and now we love him and he gives us a command hate evil now he doesn't tell you to hate evil doers okay because God is the judge right and now what the scripture says Take no vengeance, because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Remember that verse, right? So we're not to judge people, but we are to hate evil. Amen? So where God is justified, why, why can we only hate evil, and God can hate evil and evildoers? That's a good question, right? He knows our heart. That's a good question, or a good answer. The main reason, though, is because God is the only righteous holy perfect being in the universe and he's the only one qualified to hate the sin and the sinner amen we can't do that amen matter of fact that's why jesus told us we're not to judge but we're to love them that hate us do good to them that despitefully use and persecute us right he told us to love our enemies pray for them right 
Why? Because we are not capable of judging the way God judges. Amen? problem. 
Revelation 2, verse 6. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I want you to notice this is Christ talking to the church. Amen? This is the church of Ephesus. And he's telling them, one thing you do right, one thing this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This is Christ Jesus in his own words saying something he hates. Amen? Not John's words, not my words. This is Christ talking to the church of Ephesus. Amen? All right. Now, Romans 9, and we're, this is the last verse, okay? Can I get an amen? Huh? The last verse. So we went through 9 on God's love, and now we have successfully made it through 9 verses about what God hates or how God expects us to hate certain things. Amen? <clears throat> Romans, it's still before Corinthians, Kevin. Romans 9, 23, and we've read this already. We went through it verse by verse by verse, 9, 23. Uh, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has, that ain't the one I wanted. 9, 23, are you sure? Romans 9, that can't be right. I probably wrote it down wrong. Let me find the verse. I'm, I think I meant 13, not not 23. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Okay? This is quoting the Old Testament, quoting God himself. Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. Okay? And also in this, he says, I will harden who I will harden. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Amen? Why? Because God is the only one qualified to actually have a hatred that will not produce sin. Amen? Because God's the only just judge. He's the only righteous judge. He's the only holy person, thing, being in the universe that would be qualified to hate anything. So, I have six questions like I told you. We're going to ask these questions. So, does God love sinners? Yes, God loves sinners. Okay. Does God hate sin? Yes. Does God being loved stop him from hating? No. Just because God is love doesn't mean God can't hate. Because God is righteous, because God is holy, because God is just, God does hate and says in his own words he hates certain things. Amen? So we have to acknowledge that. Amen? How are sinners not held accountable for sin? Because God hates sin. How are they not held accountable for sin? Because of Christ. But that's only to those who believe. Amen? We only get that, we only get that forgiveness if we believe. Amen? Now, so does God hate unbelief? That's the question that we have to answer. Does God hate unbelief? Yes. 
He sends people to hell over unbelief. This is the condemnation that, that we're talking about. Roman or John 3:18. Those who do not or those who believe are not condemned. But those who do not believe are condemned. Why? Because God has to punish sin because he hates sin. He hates those who do sin. And the only way to separate God's hatred for sin and sinner is to be in Christ. Amen? Now, can sin and the sinner be separated? Yes, but only in Christ. So answering John 3, 16, and I was trying to clarify this, and I wanted to do it. I wasn't doing it as a slight to you, Mike, because I had a conversation with several other people about this same subject of what I was talking about totally. You know what I mean? And I kind of felt like I didn't, I didn't answer it all the way like I should have Sunday morning. You know what I mean? So in answering it tonight, I hope you understand that what I was saying is that I was not saying that God hates those who don't believe who will ultimately believe, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But those who don't ultimately believe, who ultimately fall under the condemnation of, of God because of unbelief, he doesn't love them the same way he loves those who believe. That is absolutely laid out in the New Testament. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus but things can separate me from the love of God outside of Christ Jesus sin separates me from God outside of Christ Jesus right my own flesh separates me from the love of God outside of Christ Jesus amen my own nature the devil the world everything is at work to keep me from God and the love of God. I'm not getting the love of God outside of Christ. To get the love of God, I have to be in Christ. Amen? So that love is a greater love because it's an eternal love. It's a love that's never going to fail, never going to falter. It loves all things, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It never ends. Amen? That love. But that's not the same love that's spread out to all the world. On the unbeliever. When God said he loved, or you know, he, he makes the rain to fall on the just and unjust alike, what he's saying is, as far as material things, I'm not going to show partiality, but as spiritual things, you must believe in God. You must believe in Christ. Amen? Or you're not going to get the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. You may be walking in a benevolent love of God because he has that love for everything he created, especially man created in his image and his likeness. But the reality is, if you're an unbeliever, you stand condemned in God's eyes. You face the wrath of Almighty God, and you face God's hatred for sin, and His justice, and His righteousness, and His holiness that has to judge sin. And that comes along with God's hatred for sin and those who do evil, according to Psalm 5.5. Amen? Now, that's what I was trying to say. Not that God doesn't love the sinner, because He does. Amen? Not that God doesn't love the unbeliever, because he does. But all the unbelievers that will eventually believe are going to taste of the real love of God, not just the benevolent love of God, but the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And the only way you get that love is in Christ. Outside of that, you're condemned. 
and you face the hatred and wrath of God in eternal punishment. That's hell. Hell isn't the demons stoking a fire because the demons are going to be punished right alongside everybody else in hell. They ain't in charge of anything, right? Can we agree on that? This ain't, you know, Nickelodeon hell. This is real time, real God, real hell stuff, right? So uh, I, I hope you don't take this. <laughs> I hope you don't take this as a slight. I just wanted to explain what I was meaning because it does mean whosoever will. Amen? It does. Now, I don't know whosoever will, but God does. So when he says whosoever will, he's saying all those who are going to believe, this is for you. Amen? Not for those who won't believe. It's impossible. If the blood of Christ was applied to any unbeliever, they would cease to be an unbeliever and they would be going to heaven. Because they would be a believer. <laughs> Amen? You can't have the blood of Christ applied to you and not be a believer. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Amen? It just does not happen. We receive that by faith. We receive that gift by faith. Amen? It's by believing. John 3.16 is not so universal as to make it like everybody. It's those who will believe. Amen? That's all I was trying to get at. Amen? I hope I clarified it. If I made it more confusing, I wasn't meaning to. <laughs> all right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and your grace that you did pour out on the cross for us. Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ came down to this earth to save sinners, of whom we're chief. God, I pray that you would help discern and and. and Make the words that I'm speaking speak truth and life to these people's hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help the, the family of the body of believers here at Agape Fellowship Church to see my heart, that I want to save anyone and everyone I can, that, that God has sent me to preach the gospel to every man, woman, and child I ever come into contact with. My job is not to worry about who's going to believe, but it's to preach the gospel and let whosoever will believe come to faith in Christ. Lord, we thank you that no one who comes to you will you turn away. Lord, we ask for your heart, for your mind, and for your spirit to lead us, guide us, and direct us into all truth. Use your word as a scalpel on our soul to help cut away the bone and the marrow and the thoughts and the intents of our heart that we might be perfected, molded, and shaped, cut away into the image of Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.